0: All right, we are back with a new episode of Sixers Talk. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Joining me as always on Mondays, Mr. Paul Hudrick. Still dealing with having to be a new parent. Paul, how much have you slept overall over the last week or so?
1: Uh, well, uh, so admittedly, um, my fiance is a wonderful human being, um, and she is still out on leave, so she has been really taking a lot of the mantle, and she so she's allowing me to get like a solid. Four or five hours a night, which is for a new parent, is a, a miraculous amount of sleep. So I am extraordinarily grateful to her, and uh, yeah. So it's for me, it hasn't been. It's it's been it's been rough, but it hasn't been. She's uh, like I said, she's really taken one for the team, and uh, Liberty Ballers crowd really owes her one.
0: Well, you know what, Paul? It'll get easier with time, much like most other things, right? So you just have yes. to wait it out and, and be patient and, and survive on those four yeah. or four four hour nights. But what a good way I'll to start turn 18 eventually. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, then he's going to start hating <laughs> you, right? It's just, it's a circle of life. That's, that's, that, that's what it is. But good way to wake up this morning. Uh, ben Simmons, some news coming down the pipe. It's like, who doesn't want to talk about Ben Simmons at this point? Not like we've been doing that basically since last June. Anyways, uh, the athletic Shams Chirania, also Sam Emmick, who's been on our gastroenteritis booze podcast a couple of times with uh, Steve, Dan, and Emily there uh, wrote about this in the athletic, basically saying that Daryl Morey, completely willing to wait this out to try and get a bigger target, specifically James Harden in the off season. Paul, what did you make of this when, when, when you were reading this story, because the way I'm looking at it and, and I'll, I'll kind of jump into my thoughts a little bit later on, but Paul, when you're looking at this, is this surprising to you to see that because we're less than, you know, just over now, actually, sorry, two weeks away from the deadline and all the hope was, Hey, they're going to finally get this thing done, flush it, move on. And, and kind of get on with the season and know what's going to be happening as they get to the stretch drive. So where were you, where are you at when you were hearing that it's going to be, you know, Michael big game hunting in the, in the off season and, and wait for James Harden.
1: I'm definitely not surprised from what, from what I've been told since the summertime, uh, this, you know, from the people with, you know, understanding of how the Sixers are kind of operating along with it. Like uh, uh, Darren Moore even said it on media day. Like, they never wanted to trade Ben Simmons. That was not their intention. They never had that plan. They wanted to run it back with what they had, uh, with a couple of additions, and see what they could do. Because, and I think that was a fair way to look at it. Because they are, you know, Ben Simmons shooting sixty percent from the free throw line, which he has shot throughout his career. They're that away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals, and you know, maybe having a shot against the Bucs. Who knows? You know, you never know what happens once you get beyond that point. But the point being they thought they had a team that could compete for a title um with Ben Simmons returning they believed that they truly believed that was their best chance that was their best odds was that um it was when ben simmons camp wanted the trade that they started exploring options they didn't like the options so then at that point that's when rich paul and ben simmons and that and the clutch camp took the request for a trade public and then that's when things kind of started to really deteriorate um for both sides really i mean i think That's something that Maury even has said. He said it on when he was on 97.5 The Fanatic the other day. He said basically that everyone needs to look at themselves in the mirror because it's clear. I think, Jazz, you know, we have, like you already mentioned, we have really just beaten the hell out of this thing, and I think there is a fair amount of blame to go around for sure. Um, Not everybody has handled this thing great, but moving on from that, I would say that, I uh, yeah, I'm not the least bit surprised that this is their stance. They've wanted a star player. They've wanted a top 30 talent all along. I was surprised, going back to that radio interview that Maury did, that he conceded that, you know what, maybe we don't need a top 30 guy because of how great, because of how otherworldly Joel Embiid has been. Perhaps we could go with a top 40 guy who's a really great fit. So that was surprising. Today's report's not surprising. Um, The Harden stuff... It's dubious to me because uh, on a couple different fronts. One, you, there's no way that Maury knows for sure. Like he might have an idea that, ah, oh, maybe I can sneak in here. And maybe James will want to come here and play under me again and, and yada, yada. And he, you know, really, you can really sell him on the idea of playing with Embiid and all that. And I, uh, like, th- that's part of the equation that maybe he does understand it. But even then, that's still. A really big thing that you to, to bank on. And I thought it was important. Like clearly the headline was James Harden, but Shams did mention that keeping Ben Simmons also allows him to possibly be in the hunt if Damian Lillard is available this offseason. If things change there, if Jalen Brown becomes available in Boston, depending on how that season unfurls, um, even Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal would also have to be a sign and trade situation. That's a little sticky, and I, I don't quite see the realistic nature of, of a Bradley Beal sign and trade this off season either because Bradley Beal will be leaving some money on the table. It's a whole complicated thing um, that we've kind of touched on the website here and there, but yeah, it, it's just, I get, and then I think the other part of it too, that we have to like, not rule out jazz it is January 24th. There are still, you know, I, however, I'm not good at math, however many days until February 10th, um, this could be posturing. This could be Daryl Morey's way of saying, hey Sacramento you know, we kind of like the idea of Halliburton healed and picks, but we need more, we need more picks, whatever. And your offer isn't good enough. And if it doesn't come up, we're going to keep him past the deadline. We're going to look, we're going to go big game hunting again, this off season. Now to me, and I have seen people point this out and I think it's fair does pulling the trigger on a deal for Halliburton healed and multiple picks that doesn't, you're not out of the James Harden sweepstakes. You're certainly not out of the Dame Lillard sweepstakes. So um, it's, there's a lot here. It's a lot to unpack. For me, to simply answer your question, no, I was not surprised that that is the stance because I think that has been the stance all along. So I think it would take a really massive offer to get the Sixers off of that stance.
0: See, Paul, here's here's my thing, too. And you mentioned that because Shams and, and Sam Emick wrote about this in, their, in the morning piece that the Sixers have asked... For Tyrese Halliburton, multiple first round picks from the Kings. They also asked for a package around John Collins and multiple picks from the Hawks, uh, to go along with Tobias Harris going back in a deal, which obviously the Sixers would would need to, even if they want to get Harden, they're gonna to have to clear some money up in the in the offseason. But see, like I, I think that kills two birds with one stone, right? Because you have Joel Embiid, who's playing all world MVP type, you know, level over the la- especially over the last, you know, maybe six weeks here and you know, scored 30 points in 13 of the last 14 games. You're looking at what he's doing and basically putting the team on his back and then leading the Sixers how however far they're gonna go. But you also are able to add, okay, Tyrese Halliburton might not move the needle in terms of being a oh, wow that this guy's, you know, a, a top 30, 25 guy, but he's young, uh, he's a playmaker, he can shoot the rock. These are all things that the Sixers need. They're obvious, you know, glaring holes on the roster. And you're getting those future first round picks, like you mentioned, that you could revisit in the summertime. Hey, Brooklyn, you know what? um Let's, you know, would you like a a deal for Halliburton, a boatload of picks, and and Ben Simmons, and whatever? Figure that out at that time, and that enables the the Sixers to still try and at least not just compete because they're they're going to try and compete for a championship anyways. But at the very least, Paul, they're going to be trying to at least improve the team because they're not getting anything out of of Ben Simmons right now. So if you're if you're bringing in a, a guy like Halliburton and some first round picks or John Collins, again, it boosts your chances, maybe not by a lot this season, but certainly improves the roster going into going into the playoffs and then you can revisit in the summertime if things don't go well but my thing here is too with with reading about uh daryl Morey wanting to wait for james harden and and shams mentioned this and and sam Mammick in the in the piece is that you know they gave up ben simmons matisse diebel a couple of first round picks they thought that deal was done didn't go through obviously there could be some personal animosity between Tillman Fertita, the rockets owner and uh and daryl Morey just because of how things may have might have ended there but you're looking at this now we're relying on Brooklyn to lose, let's say, in the in the playoffs. You're relying on things to go bad for the Nets, and, and you know if if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, who's out injured right now, and James Harden aren't able to to make it at least to a final, like, and, and I think there's too many unknown variables. Joel Embiid's turning 28 basically two months from now, so when you're looking at what he's doing, how would you want to play this if you were Daryl Morey? Is, is it more important to wait for the for the big name like Harden, like Dane Lillard? like Bradley Beal, who you mentioned might be harder to, to get come time for the offseason? Or do you think it's important to, hey, because I look around the NBA landscape. Remember, what, five, six weeks ago, the Warriors were the talk of the town. Like, this team is, is unreal. They're unbeatable. They've fallen on hard times. Uh, Phoenix now looks like it's the best team in the West. The Memphis Grizzlies ha- had that you know remarkable run. They played their way in it. But even in the East, it's like, okay, I like Miami. I think they're they're defensively, obviously, a very good team, and they got a, a ton of dogs on that roster. I think they're beatable in a seven game series. Who knows what's going to happen with Brooklyn Kyrie Irving. If he's not able to play because of his vaccination status, what does that do for Brooklyn? And then what you got the bulls, you know, I mean, again, good, good story, fun story. I don't think there is a legit championship contender and of course the Milwaukee Bucks. So I don't think it's worth punting a season of Joel Embiid, not trying to at least maybe not maximize by getting a superstar, but at least trying to bring in um, another player to help him out this off season. So going back to my long winded question here that took me about four, four hours to get out. But what I'm asking you is if you were Daryl Morey, how would you want to play this? And, and and what do you think should be at the top of the Sixers list going into now the, you know, the final 30, 40 games of the season
1: without knowing for sure what the offers look like, as far as if it's, Tal- it's Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald and X and not really, you know what I mean? Without knowing the full structure, it's hard to comment fully, but I would, I'll put it like this. If, First of all, I think Maury is playing it right by, one, putting out there that he's willing to wait, right? Because that's the smart leverage play. Don't let anyone – don't say, now nah, we're going to try – like, we're, we're going to do it. It's going to happen, like, because that doesn't help you at all. Um, But doing this doesn't hurt. I mean, it doesn't hurt your leverage at all to just say, like, now nah, we'll keep him. we'll keep him past the trade deadline. Because then, again, like I said off the top, like, that's telling the Sacramento's and the Minnesota's and, you know, Charlotte, who apparently entered the fray as well, that's telling all of these teams – Give me your best offer, like up it, like we need more. So from that standpoint, I think Maury has handled it well in that regard. Like I don't think uh, there is to me there has not been a time where there was an offer on the table that the Sixers got where it's like ah you know what I think Maury missed out. I I really think he could have like the idea of uh, like Malcolm Brogdon in a first I think is like one thing that was talked about and I. I was told that that was something like Malcolm Brogdon was a guy that was before he signed an ex- his extension offered by the Pacers for Simmons. If you look at that now compared to what some of these other offers are, when you're looking at like the Kings and Halliburton and and picks, like that's a significantly better offer than, you know, Malcolm Brogdon and a first, at least to me, that's a much better offer. Um, so I-, I think in that respect, Mori has played it right now if he holds Ben Simmons beyond the trade deadline, he's going to be open to a lot of criticism. And I think it's fair if then you go to the offseason and then you don't land that big fish and it kind of doesn't go your way. Um, so he's really, he is really opening himself. Not that he's, not that he cares, but he's definitely opening himself up for a lot of criticism if he carries this over beyond the deadline. Um, you, you mentioned some good points about the idea of, you know, Joel is is playing, at an absolute MVP level. I think which each passing game, I feel like he is pushing himself more and more up that ladder. He's been incredible Um, since he basically were, since he returned from COVID he's been, he's been one of, if not the best two-way player on the planet. Um, So when you factor that and Daryl Morey did concede that that is a factor. The fact that he is playing so great um, that that is something that has to be factored into the calculus here. So, yeah, I think you know that Kings offer, if that's real, if that report is real, that it was. I think the one Keith Pompey reported it uh, for the inquiry. He said one of the things was Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Matisse Stibel and then in return, buddy, uh, you know Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Hield, Harrison Barnes, and and two first round picks. Now, I'm not sure the validity of that, but if that were the trade that was out there. Yes, I 100% would do that, Jazz, because you're accomplishing so many things. You're getting a guy in Halliburton, as you said, not a top 30, not top, not a top 40 guy right now, but you, it's not a, a, a bad or a, a disingenuous argument to make that he could be that, because I think he's a pretty darn good player, and I, I think he does have some all-star potential. I really believe that. Um, like you said, handles the ball well, excellent passer. Could create off the dribble really good using a ball screen. Um, over 40 percent from three. You could see him and Tyrese Maxey feeding off each other pretty well. Um, as a backcourt tandem for the future, you could see a, 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 a partnership with him and Joel Embiid really working out. I, I, whether whether he's starting, whether he's come off of the bench and then eventually turns into the starting caliber player, like you don't have to strain yourself to see that he could be that guy. Um, and you look at he, uh, and, and Barnes are two guys that absolutely help them big time right now offensively. Two really gifted offensive players that would make this team better, uh, to your point, better than everyone in the East? I don't know. But as you mentioned, the East is not solidified. Uh, the, you mentioned all the issues these teams have, and it's, it is fairly open. If Joel Be keeps playing at this level and you add some things around him, I don't think it's crazy to consider them a, a team that could come out of the Eastern Conference and contend for a title. And then, I mean, the, the idea of getting off of Tobias Harris's contract, that's a really attractive thing to me. If that's something that's actually out there, I think that makes this deal exponentially more attractive to me because with all due respect to Tobias Harris, who I still think is a good basketball player, he is paid at a near max level and he is not, he does not give you near max production. So to get it, he's going to be making almost 40 million, two years from now. So when you see that number, that makes sense to me that that would be a really attractive thing to get off of that deal. So it would hurt in that equation to lose a Matisse Stiebel and their defense with that trade would suffer, but their offense would be so much better. And they'd still have Joel Embiid. You have a guy, Charlie Brown jr. By the way, who is playing his ass off, um, who looks great on the defensive end of the floor and is doing some of the, thi- like, th- listen, don't get me wrong. Matisse Dibel is a second all NBA defender. He is a elite, elite defender, but Charlie Brown has been filling in some of those gaps with him out. So to kind of roundabout way, ask your question, like if I'm Maury, if, if that kind of deal is out there, I'm taking it because it, it, it helps you on all those levels. But at the same time, I think putting out the front that you might do it um, and I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, just a front. I think he would, he would do it if that's the case. But I, I think that from a leverage standpoint, it makes sense to put that, um, put that stance out there.
0: Yeah. It, it was funny timing too. I mean, you know, what? for me here, like the, the West coast waking up Monday morning, I'm like, I'm, I'm reading this, you know, a piece coming out. I'm like, obviously this was done by design. He's talked to some sources within the team, uh, figured out what they, you know, what message they wanted to put out. I'm not saying it was Daryl Morey specifically, it might've been another staff or whatever it is, whoever Sham sources, but. Looking at this from from that perspective, because I'm with you. I'm like, again, as constructed right now, are the Sixers a second-round team? I think so. I think Joel Embiid can, can also maybe win three or potentially four games by himself in the second round, depending on who the opponent is. Is that going to work all the way through the playoffs? No, the Sixers just don't have enough, especially, as you mentioned, on the offensive end, I think, to compete with the big boys if they're fully healthy. If, you, if Milwaukee has Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, obviously Giannis in the lineup, they kind of figure things out. They get Lopez back. That's a different team. And you're looking at what, what what Brooklyn is like with all three guys. And again, we don't know how that's going to play out. And I, I would still put the Sixers a notch below those squads. But like you mentioned, if you're getting a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, you're getting potentially a, a Buddy Heald and, and, and Harrison Barnes and maybe some picks in there as well. Again, you're giving yourself some flexibility in the offseason that, okay, this didn't work out. We completely crapped the bed in the playoffs. Let's look to move on. We got at least some extra picks from Sacramento. Easily the worst organization, maybe in all of professional sports, not even just the NBA. So you're banking on those picks being, being pretty damn good at some point down the line.
1: A Kings so, draft pick is always a sound investment. Yes. It's like
0: gold. Yeah, yeah. It's like gold at this point. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say like Bitcoin, but that stuff's crashing like crazy. So we're not going to get into that. But you're looking at you're looking at how the, the Sixers could play this. And let's get into Joel Embiid too. I mean, you look at the numbers he's put up, you know, average better than 30 points uh, throughout basically the entire month of January, the leading score in the NBA, since roughly December the 16th, uh, just killing it in, in, in every single way. He had 38 points and 12 boards against the Spurs yesterday to win that game. When you're looking at where his game has grown the most, especially over the last couple of seasons, Paul, wh- where do you think that Joel has has not only sharpened up and, and gotten like almost perfected, like his mid-range jumper and, and that part of his game, but where do you think that he's grown the most overall as a player that he's been at this MVP level basically for two seasons now? Yeah, I
1: mean, the list is is way longer than we have time for um, because it's just, it's so many things that he's improved on. But I would say that to kind of simplify it, the two biggest things for me are the refocus on his health and his body and keeping in shape um, last off season, hired a world-class dietitian. And I think that shows up in so many ways, whether it's him hustling down one end of the floor to get really deep position, him posting up, getting doubled, passing it out, then repositioning. Um, we've seen him roll a few times this year in the pick and roll, which he never has done in the past. He hasn't liked to do it, but I think because he's in better shape and because he can do it harder and faster, it's it's. you saw one against the Spurs uh, on Sunday night with Tyrese Maxey where he got a a, a pretty easy bucket out of it. Uh, just the, all those little things. The shot, I mean, that he's got legs, right? He's got his legs underneath him, and then I think maybe most importantly from that physical standpoint, that 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 being that conditioning standpoint, fourth quarters. He's been so good in fourth quarters this year where that has not been the case in the past. Even going back, and he has said this, in that Atlanta series, he was not necessarily very good late in those games. Capella had that quote that really got circulated around, and there was like a hint of truth to that, where he wasn't, like he was so good early in games and then he kind of faded because he just didn't have Granted, he was also dealing with a torn meniscus in the playoffs, so I definitely need to include that. But in general, I I think that conditioning, that physical shape has allowed him to be so good in clutch situations. But I think even bigger than that is, is the mental portion of the game. He has been so good dissecting double teams, learning where like he's putting like he's basically playing chess out there and telling guys where to go like there was a play uh, our jackson frank tweeted it out last night he diagrammed it where he tells charlie brown to get out of the corner and furcon to go in the other corner and then it leads to furcon getting a wide open like he told them to do it and then he's like he is just a step ahead of everything it seems like defenses are doing to him whereas in the past they, you know, a team like Toronto had really flustered him with the way they doubled him and the way they send people that doesn't affect him nearly as much as it once did. He's gotten so good at finding cutters, finding, um, finding three point shooters. It's just, it, and then n- not only finding them jazz, but organizing them, telling them where to go. Like he's running the offense. He's basically like a giant point guard out there. Um, I don't know if he saw some of Jokic's games last year and thought like, hmm, you know what? I have the skill and talent. I can do that too. Why not? Like, let me incorporate that. Obviously, Ben Simmons not being there has almost kind of pushed him to do it, but he's been good at it. Like he's he's really excited accept- So, like, no matter what happens with Ben Simmons, if they get another point guard in the fold, this is a new thing that he has unlocked. Um, this 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 portion of his game where he has become a playmaker and just really seen the floor so well. And it, it's that's a big reason why it's not only helped him. Like he's averaging career high in assists, career low in turnovers, but I think it's also helped him from a scoring standpoint. And then the last thing I would say is patience. Like because of that cerebral nature uh, that that he's played the half court game in, because of that he has had so much more patience. He lets he has let the game slow down. He has let the game come to him, um, and because of that, he's not panicked and he's stronger with the ball. And it just made him so much more effective. And I just always think about the fact that. He didn't start playing basketball until he was 16 years old. And I think now you're starting to see now because he's a smart guy. Like he is one of the smartest athletes I've ever been around. Like he is just such a smart dude. And I think he is starting to figure out the game. And that's why at 28 years old, in the best shape of his life, he is having this MVP caliber season. And why I think we talk about his prime a lot. And like, oh, you don't want to waste Embiid's prime. Well, you don't want to waste it by going all in this season because I think he is just entering his
0: prime. You still think he has got, how many more years do you think? I mean, again, you have to be worried about this from from a health standpoint, given his history. Also as a big man, we've seen, you know, big men, typically once you get to 33, you know, 34, it does, the game starts to deteriorate. So when you're looking at this, because I'm with you, I don't, you know, I remember we were talking about this during training camp is that, and Maury was saying, you know, I don't care if this goes four years and we're like ha ha ha, Daryl. I don't think that's really gonna be the case. Speaking of which, next time you're at a media availability, maybe ask Joe for some tips from his world-class dietitian because we could both use those as well, probably help us out. I wouldn't listen to <laughs> any of them <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still so gonna you're gonna enjoy your cheesesteaks and I'm gonna enjoy <laughs> some burgers. So either way, but um, <laughs> when you're when you're looking at at what like how good he has been, and and again, you're looking at the long-term health of the franchising, and, and getting back to the, the Maury stuff is you have this guy who's playing all world, you know, at this point. And I think when it comes down to the MVP race, we'll see when we are, where we're at maybe in, in April and if the Sixers can maybe climb up the standings, that he's probably going to be in the, what, top three at this point? I, I, I would venture to guess, I, I, you know, right now, not not a shoe-in to win it, given that some other guys are having great years too. But when you're looking at this, like, how long should Daryl Morey be planning for here? For three seasons, four seasons? Like, where 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 do you stand on that?
1: See you you hit on the age and I I kind of think that that's the age I mean 33 seems like because of what I've already mentioned it's he's in he's in better shape at 28 than he probably was at 22 just because of the way he's taking care of himself and and you know and the and the attention he's given to that because he's matured and he's become so mindful and he listens to his body more I know that's like a a like a thing that maybe when you're all of us right when we're younger we just don't care. Like we get hurt, we just ah, we're good. And we'd rub some dirt on it and go out. Like, no, like he's been smart of like, all right, this feels this pain feels a little bit funny. It doesn't feel quite like a normal, like it feels more than than a usual pain. Let me get this checked out. I think he's done more of that and he's listened to his body in that regard. Like even the meniscus thing last year, like he knew he could he he felt he could play through it you know what i mean like he he knew it like he sensed he felt it in his body like all right this is small enough it's giving me pain but i can tolerate it i can manage this whereas maybe if it was a little more severe he would be able to all say to himself you know what this isn't worth it let's i got to shut it down uh, you know come back next year so i think that from that standpoint i think that's part of the reason why i i believe he is just entering his prime and why i think he can do this for another 5 years or so i really believe And then the other thing is, I think his offensive game is going to age great. Um, When you look at, I don't think he's going to get any less strong. Um, (laughs) I think he's going to, if anything, maybe get stronger. Uh, That mid-range game, we saw what Michael Jordan and what Kobe Bryant did late in their careers, where they just mid-ranged everyone to death and no one could stop them. They just hit fadeaway after fadeaway after fadeaway. Once they started losing their legs a little bit, that's what they did. That's how they adjusted. And they were still great into their mid-30s. Um, I think defensively is where he will eventually start to take a step back because part of what makes him so great on that end is the athleticism, is how good his feet are, is how you know how, how athletic he is. So I do think over those five years, his defense might gradually decline. But I think offensively, I think he's still going to be elite. Um, like I said, I I, I think for, for five years, I, I really truly believe that barring some type of crazy Injury, which he hasn't. That's the other thing to, to point out too, Jazz. I mean, it, it's the the injury history, history is fair. It, it's out there. It's a reality. But look at the last like few seasons. It he's avoided that catastrophic. You know what I mean? Again, I'm knocking on what as hard as I can here. Um, you know, the navicular bone was really the last, and that was his when he first got into the league. That was the last like catastrophic thing that kept him out a season. Like we haven't seen that. Uh, you know, he had the meniscus his rookie season. He only played 31 games, but he bounced back. In his second year, made it you know made an All Star team the next season. So, I, I think from that standpoint, he is just handling himself so well physically and that maturation. I, I think it's going to allow him to play into his into his like I said, early to mid thirties. I think is totally realistic from him.
0: And at this rate, Ben Simmons might still be on the roster, not playing by the time <laughs> he's there, anyways, right? So we don't we don't really know how that's going to turn out. I really uh, last last one for you, Paul, about, about the Sixers. You know, looking at. The way things are shaping up in the East, currently sitting in sixth, uh, two and a half games behind Miami for the top spot in the conference, only two behind Brooklyn for the lead of the division. Of course, the Nets are without Kevin Durant. Also looking at Chicago, Lonzo Ball out with an injury, Alex Caruso out with an injury. Looks like you know the Bulls can start maybe falling down a little bit, and, and same thing with Brooklyn here. The Sixers do have the six remaining toughest schedule in the in the league, but eleven and three since Christmas, sitting at twenty-seven and nineteen. Where do you think this team is gonna end up in the standings ultimately going into the playoffs? Like what seed do you think they'll they'll be at?
1: I could see them being the three seed. I, I think like a like a I still in my mind believe that Milwaukee and the Nets are kind of the class of the conference. Um I what you already touched on, I I'm pretty much locking step with you on that. I, I don't especially now with the injuries, I can't imagine Chicago keeps up what they're doing. And I thought I thought they were going to come back down to earth anyway, and now I think the injuries are only going to exacerbate that a bit. Miami is we uh, Miami's deep, um, and so I think that's going to help them a lot, and that they're going to win a lot of games, and it's going to help them kind of stay afloat in, in the standings and stay pretty high because they are they do have a deep roster that did just get Bam Adebayo back. You know, they have a, a a lot of really good pieces. I, I don't know that they're elite. Um, I don't know that they're like, like, again, I still think it's, it's Miami or excuse me, it's Milwaukee, it's Brooklyn. And then it's from there. It's kind of, then I would probably put like the Sixers in the heat kind of in that next tier. But what I would, and I, I love Jimmy Butler. He is a great player. I loved covering him when he was here. He is an excellent, excellent player. He's not on that Joel and B level, right? He's not there. Um, neither is Bam out of bio. They're both all-star players. They're both great players. They are not in that Joel Embiid category. So I think you have kind of a conflict there with those two teams where you have a Miami heat team that has a lot of very good players. Whereas you have the Sixers who have an alien of a player and then a bunch of okay players, I guess is like the, best, with all due respect to a lot of the players on this roster. So it's an interesting dichotomy between those teams. And that's why I think they're kind of even like I could see, I could see either one of those being the three or the four, like really, I, I think the cream will rise and I think it'll be, it'll be, Milwaukee or brooklyn one and two and then sixers and heat three or four but then again you know brooklyn's definitely a wild card when you look at Kyrie's situation you look at kd's injury history i I still love james harden i still think he's a hell of a player but i don't think i i think it's clear he's down a little bit from where he's been in his past he's not up to the level um he's been at in recent years physically uh but he's still a great player but i just think they're their situation so iffy. I just don't know what they are. So, I mean, I could even see them kind of falling down in the Sixers in heat, perhaps sneaking ahead of them. So, for me, I don't see them being any worse than the four seed going into the playoffs, and I think they could potentially be higher than that.
0: And are that's we, just right now with, well, without are, making any moves. Are, are we not respecting the Cavs enough? Because, I'm, I mean, I, I, I love their story. You know what I mean? You got Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, obviously, uh, Jared Allen playing good. I would be afraid of playing the Cavs in the playoffs as of right now, just given their their lack of experience at at, at being, you know, at, at least a middling contender at some point in the Eastern Conference. I still think they're one of the best five or six teams, but like, are we not giving them enough enough respect? Is that on us right now that they're going to play the Sixers in the first round and then beat them in seven or something? So somebody's going to come back and watch this episode and tell us that how <laughs> dumb we are that that we're that we're not talking about the Cavs in the East.
1: No, I, I think I think the Cavs are getting their. The, they are now getting their appropriate due. I think what you mentioned is the issue. I think they're just, they're just, they're young. Um, They, they kind of don't have like a guy like Darius Garland has been outstanding. I think he's probably an all-star this year and probably should be. Uh, You mentioned Mobley is, I mean, he, he's rookie of the year and he's been spectacular. He is a lot of fun. He is going to be a star. Like I, I oh, yeah. with, I think just with him and Garland alone, just those two guys, their future is so ridiculously bright. Uh, you mentioned Allen, who's having a hell of a year. Who you could argue is also maybe in that All Star conversation. Uh, Okoro is a guy I love as a wing defender, but I just don't think they're quite there yet. I I, I think they're probably at least a year away. I would think. I mean, who knows? I mean, listen, the, the Sixers are a team. You know, Ben Simmons' rookie year, they took the league by storm with him and Embiid. Embiid in his second year. Ben Simmons in his fierce year, and they they worked their way up to the third seed. It was really impressive, but I also think that was more of a result of maybe the teams ahead of them not being that experienced, that great. Um, so I just I just think I don't even think it's necessarily that the Cavs are not good enough, or I I just think it's that the teams in front of them are really good and really experienced. Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, the Sixers. I mean. that that, those are all four teams that have not not only are good and talented, but they have playoff pedigree. They've been in this situation before and the Cavs aren't quite there yet. And you're right. They might listen. If they're a five seed and the Sixers are a four, that's not going to be a cakewalk. That's going to be a really difficult series. The Sixers are really going to have their hands full to beat that Cavs team. But I, I would think that ultimately best of seven series, the Sixers would beat the Cavs. Um, but and I think it would be invaluable for the Cavs to get that experience against a team like the Sixers. So I just I, I think the Cavs are appropriate. I think they're a hell of a team. I think they they deserve respect. But I think again, I if they are the fifth best team in this conference. I think at best.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like I said, I think maybe next year or two years from now, when LeBron James signs back with Cleveland, because all of a sudden <laughs> they're sick again and maybe <laughs> tries to chase a championship. But I, I'm with they you. Have I mean,
1: the ability too. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's like I I think yeah. for the future, I think um you know they're they're gonna have more flexibility once they get off kevin love's deal i mean they're 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 you know colin sexton is probably i mean i'm very curious to see what's going to happen with him i personally think that he doesn't really fit quite with their organ yeah. like with what they have going on i think they're better building or like i mentioned around garland and mobley but we'll see i i, I think they're still like you said at least a year or two away
0: well paul let's wrap up on this nfl weekend Crazy, crazy, like the best playoff weekend I, I can ever remember. And you had four games. There were four walk-offs. What was your favorite of, of all of them? Because I was watching that – the the Rams-Bucks game. I'm like, okay, they're seriously going to lose this. And obviously Matthew Stafford hits Cooper Cup you know, down the middle. What the hell was Tampa Bay doing on that where you're leaving Cooper Cup on busted coverage running down the middle? That, I, I mean, I it was an ugly game, but that fourth quarter. And then obviously the, the Buffalo-KC game. I mean, what a crazy – crazy ending what what were your thoughts on on the four games that we saw over the weekend
1: yeah so well first of all i have to thank the sixers for ending uh sunday night's game in an early fashion so that i could tune into the kansas city buffalo game with three minutes left which worked out quite perfect timing
0: yeah yeah yeah.
1: Uh, um, yeah i mean that was that was the that was the greatest ending i think i've ever seen in a football game in my entire life it was incredible uh those two quarterbacks they are the future of this league like that is people have said and i agree that that's like brady manning 2.0 and then that's not even including you know burrow and a guy like justin herbert who unfortunately didn't make the playoffs like those guys coming right behind them so like the future of the quarterback position is so exciting in the nfl so i love that that's one of my biggest takeaways um especially when you consider kind of this almost like a passing of the torch with brady and rogers both going down um I have to admit that I enjoyed Aaron Rodgers losing take from that what you will. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, but my, the, the one I probably enjoyed the most though, and I'm, I'm also a big Joe, Burrow like an enormous Joe Burrow guy. So I love that. I loved him going into Tennessee and doing enough, uh, getting, getting his, ass kicked throughout the game i can't what do you take like nine, nine? sacks. yeah nine sacks yeah, uh, yeah. just got beat up all day and for him to have enough to just win them that game i love him i love his guts uh, i think he's great um but matt stafford's a guy who i've always liked i always thought he got such a bad rap for being in detroit and people kind of questioning him and how good he actually is because oh he, he couldn't win in detroit Nobody can freaking win in Detroit, they suck. Like, you're kidding me? Like, it's a terrible organization. It was terrible before Matt Stafford got there, it's terrible still after he's gone. Um, so to see him have that vindication and have that moment, you know what I mean? Like, if they would have won 27 10 or something, it would probably still be the same narrative. It would be like, ah, well, Matt Stafford hasn't really done it in a big game, but the fact that he got to make that throw to cup, um, I thought that was like it, it was it's such vindication for him, and also man Sean McVay really tried to lose that game he tried yeah. to lose so hard and it was because I to me like he didn't trust Stafford and I think that throw showed you like no coach like trust your damn quarterback because he can do it he can get the damn job done
0: well hopefully I don't trust him too much because I'm an Niners fan so I'm hoping that he plays <laughs> that crap on, on on Sunday in the championship game because it was funny we were talking a bit before we, we started rolling here like going into that Green Bay game I'm like Whatever, man. You know what I mean? I money lined in the, the Niners. I'm like, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, if they win this game, great. If they lose, oh, well, they're, you know, they're supposed to lose anyways. And then as that game went on, weirdly as a fan, I was like, they're going to win. Like, even when they they couldn't score and then they, you had the, you had the big, the, the block punt by Jordan Willis and then Robbie Gold's walk off field goal. It was like, I was like, cool. I knew this was going to happen. Now, going into what's the, the Sunday game, the, the 49ers have killed the Rams. It, it's like a weird thing in the NFC West that, the Seahawks have the Niners number and then the Niners have had the Rams number. So I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. I, the Rams could come out and score 34 points and annihilate the 49ers because Jimmy Garoppolo throws for 97 yards and two picks. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens too, to be honest with you. But uh, I would almost have rather had the Niners play the Bucks simply because you're going to be able to beat a team like the Rams seven times in a row, three times in a year. I know their stats show that, you know, it recently it hasn't been as easy, but overall, Teams have done pretty well trying to go for the third straight win against a team, but Eagles fans at- know
1: that pain all too well with the Tampa oh, Bay yeah. Buccaneers. Trust me. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. I remember. I mean, even while well, you're looking back at, at at the days, it was like the the McNabb days, and the thing. And you mentioned the 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 um, the quarterbacks. All the good young ones are in the AFC. So you know, you're looking yes. at the NFC. It's like, well, what's going to happen here? You know what I mean? We're gonna have to wait till these great, you know, group of quarterbacks starts coming up. Otherwise, the AFC is going to be winning the Super Bowl year in and year out, like you mentioned with guys yep. like Allen Mahomes. And uh, and uh, Joe Burrow and 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 Justin Herbert, so that's something to keep an eye on. But that's a great point.
1: Like yeah. Kyler, Mer- like who outside of Kyler Murray in the NFC is
0: and like even the young quarterback?
1: You're I... like, yeah, this is exciting. Like no, like nobody in the NFC East has that guy. No one in the Central. Well, maybe Fields. Fields might be that guy. I like Fields, what I yeah. saw out of Fields a little well, bit. Even but... with
0: the Niners, Trey Lance. They, we don't know. Yeah, how maybe that's Trey going Lance. Out. And it's kind of yeah, interesting from, from from a 49ers perspective. I'm like, okay, so if Jimmy wins, they win the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> would be like Trent Dilfer or, or Brad Johnson winning it. But it's like, you just move on from the guy after this? You've been to well, two they Super Bowls in two
1: years? The Ravens moved on from Trent Dilfer, didn't they? they? They got Elvis Gerbach right after that? Isn't that what happened back in the day?
0: Yeah, yeah what a stupid move that was. Either way, yeah, Elvis <laughs> Gerbach. He's former Niner as well. But, uh, you know, okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up on this. Who do you have going to the Super Bowl? Who do you have winning the games this weekend?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Rams only because I just it's not just Stafford. I just think there's, they're so complete. Uh, when you look at that front four, you know their secondary has actually played really well. Jalen Ramsey's is one of the best uh, defensive backs in the game, and it just and then it's crazy that they like they got Odell Beckham Jr. for nothing. Yeah, um, and he's looked, like every every week he looks a little bit better than he did the week before. To, on top of that, playing the other side of Cooper Cup, who's the best receiver in the game right now. You got Higby, who's a really strong tight end. Even Van Jefferson's a really good third receiver. Yeah. Um, their offensive line is really held up. And just, I just, they are just such a complete football team that I, I think they make it. And then the other side, it's so hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I'm picking two favorites here, but like, I just. I just Way to go to Lynn Hall. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah good I know. Right. <laughs> I, but that's what I see. I see. Well, I'll say that. Here's what I'll say to make it make it a little bit dicey a little bit more um of a a bolder pick i think it's kansas city la in the super bowl but i think la wins it
0: wow okay that's gonna be interesting because i'm gonna go with i i I would be remiss if i didn't take the niners i I think the niners are gonna win a a close one again they've they've done it for the last three weeks basically uh if you include that week 18 win over over the rams in in la but it'll be a home game right Oh, so it's gonna be. It will be. I mean, did you see the stupidity of the Rams, like saying that they're only limiting their their geographic, like the ticket sales to people who are located inside? Well, either that has either to. The way, that's not gonna work because it's gonna be I a, a majority of all. I don't think. In a, it's like the Rams are what the second favorite football team in LA, maybe the third behind <laughs> USC and the Raiders. Maybe I don't know, but um, mm. honestly, I think the Chiefs are gonna win pretty handily, and that's no disrespect to to the Bengals, but. I'll have a Chiefs Niners rematch from a couple of years ago. And of course being a 49ers fan, they'll be up by 10 again in the fourth quarter and Patrick Mahomes will score three touchdowns <laughs> and they're going to lose. So, I mean, but that's what, that's what we'll go with on there. Uh, let's wrap things up right here for this episode. Uh, Paul, anything going on coming down the pipeline this week for you? I know you got to come in for a landing podcast on Wednesday. Uh, what can people look forward to on, on your end and for our Liberty baller site where we have a ton of, a ton of great writers as well.
1: Right. Yeah. So we, we, um, did touched on today, uh, Dave Early, who's been really all over all this sim and stuff. He's done such an excellent job for us, um, kind of taking those reports that we keep getting and putting it into a proper context and telling you what's real and what's not and what's um, what's possible, what's not possible. And, and, and I think he's done a really good job. So that's up on the site right now. One of the things that Shams mentioned was uh, the Hornets being a, a team that has apparently entered the fray. So uh, one, every team that enters the fray is better for Daryl Morey. Two, uh, I'm going to write something maybe exploring a little bit more of Is Charlotte realistic? What can they get? Like, what what does it kind of deal look like? And so I definitely want to get into that this week. And of course, we're going to be all over any other news that comes out for that and then continuing to cover the MVP campaign of uh, one Joel Hansen Bede.
0: And let's make a deal, Paul, that after the trade deadline, we're just not going to talk about Ben Simmons until the season's over. Please. I I would be (laughs) great with that personally. (laughs) We'll wrap things up there. Uh, Don't forget me and Paul are me doing this. Basically, every Monday throughout the season, kind of giving you, All the news going on in the Sixers in terms of the good and the bad, as well as the ugly. Uh, Also, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com.